Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. I'm glad you're here. Today is September the 19th. We are almost through the month of September, getting ready to enter into October the fall of 2023. I have to say this year has really flown by quickly. I really don't have anything to complain about in my own life, in my own business. That hasn't stopped me though, but I'm just putting that out there because if you've been listening to this podcast over the past several months, over the summer months, for instance, you know that we've been talking about some of the more negative things that are happening in the world and in the business world today. We talked about some of the challenges that people are facing, things like inflation. We've talked about record credit card debt. We've talked about slow business growth along with saturated marketplaces. And none of these things exactly create inspiration within any of us, but it is important, even though these aren't good news types of topics, it is important to recognize the terrain that you're attempting to navigate through for what it is, and that way you can plan accordingly. Recognizing problems isn't exactly an enjoyable way to experience your day. And I have to tell you, even me personally, I spent quite a bit of time this past year looking at things that I'd rather not be looking at as far as the world goes, business goes, the economy goes. And what's interesting about it is that as far as negative experiences go, I haven't had any personal negative experiences relative to business growth this year, and yet it hasn't felt that way. And probably that's because I've spent quite a bit of time focusing on some of the threats that have been appearing on the not-too-distant horizon. Threats which, once you see them, it's impossible to unsee them. And so I've done my best to make the people around me aware of these things, if for nothing else, to be able to make some plans to do things perhaps a little bit differently than they would be doing had these threats not been present. But the ultimate goal, and this is what I want to really focus on today, isn't to dwell on the problems until they fill your every waking moment. And believe me, there are plenty of people who do that. I've had days like that. You've had days like that. No, the goal is to find a solution or possibly several solutions that you can use and then begin to channel your energy into working towards those solutions. Now, before we go any further, today's episode is sponsored by two, again, of my very own marketing resources, the Digital Strategist Newsletter and the One-to-Many System. The Digital Strategist Newsletter is my monthly newsletter, which is released at the end of every month, usually on the 23rd or the 24th. It's absolutely free, and it's designed to give you some insights that can help you think through your own marketing strategies and options. So head over to jimsnewsletter.com to sign up. Back issues are available there as well. The one-to-many system is my big course, and this is the program that gives you a complete scalable marketing strategy and system along with the website and the content creation pieces. And this is designed so that you can finally have all the pieces you need properly working together. It's the culmination of my 25 plus years of doing business online. 
So visit OneToManySystem.com to learn more today. All right, now, back to what I was saying. The goal is to find solutions, and sometimes to do that, you have to go back to the beginning and do a bit of a maybe mental audit of yourself to see if there's something missing today, something valuable that you had in the past that you may currently be missing in the present. I worked for an audit company way back when, and we would go into a business after hours. They would shut everything down, and we would break up the store into sections, and several of us would be assigned to one section, and we do a complete audit. And when you do an audit, that's when you discover if there are things missing that should have been paid for that weren't paid for. That's when we find out what's really happening, what the state of the business really is. And so sometimes you can apply that principle to yourself. Let me tell you a quick story to illustrate this. Just the other day, I heard two psychologists talking about goal setting and why it works and why it doesn't. And when I first started listening, I thought, oh, I've listened to this so many times and I don't even really like the concept of goal setting anymore. I like to actually eliminate the word goals and replace it with priorities. Because whatever we prioritize, that's what we put our energy to. Whatever we prioritize, that's what we work towards. Goals, on the other hand, seem to be hit or miss. We either hit the target or we miss the target. And if we miss the target enough, well, then that's the end of the goal. But not to harp on that, as I was listening to these two guys talking, they hit it from a slightly different angle, which was eye-opening. And what they were talking about all came back to motivation and having a vision. So for example, do you remember when you first started your business or a business? Maybe it's the business you have now, maybe it was something previous, or maybe you started a new project that you were genuinely excited about. Now hindsight being 2020, think about it just for a moment. What do you think was driving you at that time? Well, maybe there were several things, but just kind of zero in and think about how you felt at the time. Now, obviously, we would have to say whatever you were doing, it was something that you, you were really interested in. Now, if you're really interested in something, would it be fair to say that if you're not interested in it, then it's hard to get excited or enthusiastic about it? Isn't that true? So if we talk about your favorite food and we say, hey, let's go to this restaurant and that's the restaurant that serves your favorite food, well, you're going to have a little more enthusiasm about going there tonight than if somebody, let's say your spouse or a friend says, well, let's go to this other place over here. And you're thinking, well, there's kind of like one thing I like on that menu. And I don't know if I really feel like eating that tonight. Right. So it's it goes without saying that excitement and enthusiasm definitely change the energy that's behind our actions. It definitely changes how we look about at the day, at the week. I know there were certain times where I had meetings scheduled on certain days, and for some reason, I just didn't want to go to those meetings. And when I thought about the meetings, even though they were days ahead, it just, for lack of a better way to put it, it was just a downer, just thinking about it. And for I didn't know why either. I mean, I guess I could have really thought about it, because sometimes thinking about doing something that you don't want to do, for whatever reason, is actually worse than doing it. But I've been caught in that situation a few times in the uh, in the not too distant past. But anyway, when you're interested in something, it does change everything. When you really want to do something, when you get excited about it. I remember when I first started learning some of the skills that I use today. 
I spent hours reading, practicing, learning. Most of the time, it didn't feel like work. Sometimes I'd go to sleep out of necessity. I was reading something that I was interested in, watching videos or whatever, my, but my eyes started burning. I started nodding off. And I've literally fallen asleep with a tablet in my hands. And then I would have to wake up and rewind or go back and read that same section over and over again. Right? My mind wanted to keep going, but my body was just too tired to do it. I'm guessing it's more or less the same with everyone. Isn't it the same with you? I mean, do you remember a time when your work or what, whatever it is that you were learning, you were excited about? And the whole learning process was fun and fulfilling, even the building process, getting started, you had that energy behind you, okay? So there's that. But let's talk about now the topic of having a vision because that goes right along with it. If you really have a vision to do something, do you remember having a vision maybe for your life or your business and working towards it? Maybe it was a special area of your life and do you remember the kind of energy that creates and the kind of momentum that's created by that energy. Now, even if the business didn't work out exactly the way you wanted it to, you can't deny that you had a special kind of energy at work inside of you as you were making the effort. And so what they were talking about were goals, let's just call them visions for a moment, that were too small. And what they were saying is if the vision is too small, then that excitement, that energy is not behind you to push forward to actually accomplish that. So, and likewise, if the vision was too big, so we can use money as an example. So if there is, let's say, a, a goal, all right, let's not use the word goal. If there was, if you had a vision to make an extra $100 a month, well, that may not be very exciting. If someone told you that they have an opportunity they want you to look at and you can make maybe $100, $150 a month doing this activity, you might say, you know, I think I'll take a pass on that because $100, $150 isn't really going to do anything. Now, I know if you're totally broke, $150 is better than nothing. But I mean, if, if you're running a business, if you more or less have things more or less together, I guess I would say, you're looking at $150, it's not gonna motivate a whole lot of people. But likewise, if someone came to you with the extreme opposite and, and said, I have an opportunity here, you can probably make $10 million every few months doing this, then that would probably seem too big to most people. Even if it was legitimate, your mind would turn it off because you're thinking that's not realistic. And so if we use the word vision, vision is your ability to see yourself doing something, to be, to be able to see yourself accomplishing something. Athletes use it a lot. Athletes envision themselves. Remember Muhammad Ali said that during his career, a whole lot of times he envisioned himself in fights before the fights would happen. He visualized himself winning. And then he said that the first time he visualized himself losing was when he lost to Ken Norton. Anyway, I mean, not to Ken Norton, to um, Joe Frazier. And that was during the fight of the century. It was the first time in public he ever said, well, if I lose, this is what I'll do. And, and not to say, not to tie it into that you can't say anything negative or you can't think anything negative. Of course, you're human. You're going to have negative thoughts. You're going to say things that contradict where you want to go and what you want to do. 
and your ability to do it. But that said, if we take all that off the table and just put forth the concept of having a vision, there have been times in your life, you have to admit, when you had a vision to do something and that vision seemed realistic to you and it was enough of, um, it was realistic enough, but it was also a little bit far away where you had to give your very best to get there, but you believed it was achievable. It was inspiring enough for you to get up out of your chair and to get out, out of whatever rut you may have been in at the time and move forward and push yourself to do something maybe that you've never done before because there was a part of you that actually believed you might actually be able to, to get this thing done. I've seen it happen in groups before where people have made the statement in a group, hey, if we all put 100% into this, if we all just really focus on achieving this one objective and we put our skills together, maybe we put some money together and we give it our all, we may be able to accomplish something that will change all of our lives. And it will be something that we'll tell our children, our children's children will tell the story of the time that we've done that. And there are times when that have these windows of opportunity open where people catch a vision for something like that. And I'm sure it's happened to you one time or another. Maybe it didn't happen with something huge. Maybe it was just learning something new or starting something new. Maybe it was something like as simple as, well, I don't want to say as simple as, but learning a new language or visiting a place, a country that you've never been to before. But it was something that forced you to give your very best to get there. In other words, you couldn't just go through the motions and get the type of result that you wanted to. And so that's the difference. And, th and that's why, as these guys were discussing this concept of having a vision, I think that's why so many people struggle on top of all of the things that we see happening today. So we could say that this group of people or this individual, they're not making progress because, and we can talk about all the things that they have no control over. We can talk about the economy. We can talk about inflation. We can talk about the high cost of housing and transportation and all of that. And all of those things are outside of our control. And so it's depressing when you try to change something that is not capable of being changed or your mind tells you, or worse yet, your heart tells you that all of the things that need to be changed in your life, you have zero power to change. Because once that happens, then you don't even make the effort anymore. But real change happens when you catch the vision, if you give it your all, you can find yourself in a completely different situation over the next three months, over the next six months, over the next year or few years, everything can change in your life. If you can see yourself in that kind of situation, obviously it's going to change everything. So if you're currently in a saturated niche where the supply is exceeding the demand, your vision for the future has most likely taken a hit for obvious reasons. However, that doesn't mean that there are no longer some very good opportunities for you out there. That's another thing. So many times we work with blinders on. Have you ever seen the horse with the blinders? They do that so that the horse is just looking straight ahead so it's not distracted by other things. Well, there's times when it's really in your favor not to put blinders on yourself. In other words, if you have your business you live with it day in and day out. All you see is this one set of problems, one set of struggles, one set of challenges. 
Sometimes you put blinders on. You need to take them off so that you can see that there are other opportunities out there for you to take what you have, your existing skill set, and repurpose it to do something new, something better. For example, almost every market out there today has groups of people who fall into the underserved categories. And I can use marketing as an example of this. The manufacturing business-to-business niche is a very good example of this currently. It's one of the underserved niches out there, meaning that there's not an abundance of content that's been created to address their specific needs and their specific challenges. I'm talking about business manufacturers, people that have warehouses and things of that nature. They don't do marketing like the average business does, the kind that you're probably familiar with, the kind that I talk about. And so if you begin to plug contemporary marketing plans into the manufacturing sector, it's amazing the kind of results that they can get. That's just one example. There's others also. Now, you may think, well, if you're in marketing, and this is one of the things I thought when I learned about this, I'm not exactly excited about working with manufacturers. But I'm sure there's people out there that would say, you know what, Jim, I don't really care whether it's a manufacturer, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's politics. I don't care what it is. As long as the money comes in, that's the kind of situation I'm in. Hey, I'd be the last person to argue with you about that kind of thinking. I know for years there have been people that do whatever they need to do, whatever the kind of business is. Maybe they're not that excited about it, but it enables them to generate the kind of money without making them miserable, that their family needs, and they go ahead and they do that. I could say, for example, this is fictitious, of course, but I've used this example in the past. Imagine that you inherit a lollipop factory, and it's one of the biggest out there. And you go from middle income to way up here, as far as your income goes, overnight almost. Now, some of you may say, well, the first thing I would do is sell it because I have zero interest in lollipops. But quite a few of you would say, hey, you know what? If I was making that kind of money and there was more opportunity to make even more in that industry, I'd learn everything about the lollipop business that I could. And I'd learn it in record time. And I'd learn to enjoy the fact that there were still kids out there and some adults that like to uh, buy lollipops. So it we're all different. We're all wired a little bit different. Some of us have to be super interested in something. Some of us learn to adjust our interests based on the fact that, hey, this is a real opportunity that can affect my life. And that in and of itself will generate the the vision, the energy, the desire to want to do something new, something better. But as I was talking about with the manufacturing business, that's an example of niching down. Same can be said of certain professions. You can niche down within a profession. There's people that have uh, that do certain things, but there's niches within the niches. And so you may think, I can't think of any. Just because you can't think of any in the next 30 seconds doesn't mean they don't exist. Again, sometimes you gotta take the blinders off, sit down, and really think it through. Because an underserved niche is underserved for a reason. It's underserved because it hasn't been recognized by the masses yet. Sometimes, I hate to say this, but people do not believe what they're seeing right in front of them. They don't believe it because they're recognizing something that other people haven't recognized yet. And because maybe this is the first or second time this has happened to them, this kind of a thing, 
they don't trust what it is that they're seeing. They don't trust their own gut intuition. And when several other people suddenly point out, hey, take a look at this, there's a real opportunity there, then they feel validated. In other words, there's some people that have to have their ideas validated by others before they themselves will believe in them. I hope that makes sense. But the whole niching down concept, I remember back in the 1990s, this is another good example, many entrepreneurs were saying at the time that growing a successful software business was no longer possible thanks to companies like Microsoft. And at the time, Bill Gates was interviewed about that statement that people were making that Microsoft was just eating up all of the competition. And Bill Gates said, we're not eating up all the software competition, we're just eating up the competition that creates products that compete with ours. And products that compete with ours are built for the masses. Microsoft builds software for the masses. And he went on to say that there will always be plenty of opportunities to build software for niches that will never ever be in competition with Microsoft. And so he said large software companies, mid-size software companies, and small software companies can all exist together without them overlapping one another. It was simply a matter of what they were focusing on. And when I heard that at the time, I thought to myself, well, he has a point there, but I couldn't identify any software niches. And I tried at the time. Now, I wasn't in the world of software, but I used software. And I thought to myself, well, what niche would I build software in if somebody just gave me a blank check and said, go ahead, Jim, we'll, we'll back you. You do the research and you tell us what niche we should build software in. I couldn't come up with any ideas, but you know, hindsight being 2020, I gave myself a good one to two minutes to try and come up with something. And so that's the mind, the type of mindset that you can't have when you're looking for an underserved niche. It may take you several weeks, several months to be able to identify one or two underserved niches. And even then there will be a question mark because again, the definition of underserved means there's not other people out there pointing to it. Like we see today, if you go on YouTube and you go elsewhere and you see people making videos about how to make money on this platform or that platform, all of these have been recognized already. These are not this, that is not a good example any longer of niching down. Niching down means that you're going to be creating products or services or a combination of both for a group of people that are currently not being served by very many businesses. That's the idea of serving an underserved market. And so we can take any topic on the high level. We can look in the areas of health, we can look in the areas of money, we can look in the areas of relationships, and there are all high-level targets. But then as you begin to go further down into the subgroups, you will find groups of people that are not being, their needs aren't being met by the high-level basics of the information. They need something specific. Sometimes you are part of that niche and you don't even realize it. Your niche may have to be, it may have to do with a the part of the world that you live in, or it may be your age, maybe your age and a part of the world that you live in. You may be the person who traveled through that niche in the past, you're no longer there, but having gone through it, you know the unique challenges that people who were in your situation 
are facing today. But all of the other basics still apply. This is the exact approach that I'm taking with my own business as of this recording, September the 19th, 2023. I'm currently looking at a few, what I consider to be underserved niches that I will gradually move into over the course of the next several months. And while my current business on one hand keeps moving forward, I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to just let it continue as is. On the other hand, I'll be taking a step of faith forward, putting one foot in front of the other to formulate some new ideas for a new group of people. And then I'll begin to put those ideas into action. That means getting back to the basics, because no matter what you do, the basics are evergreen and they do apply. That's why you don't have to be stuck in an unprofitable business situation indefinitely, because the same principles apply to the new thing that apply to the old things. I'm talking about the basics. If you start with a vision, and don't let that word trip you up, the definition of vision can be as simple as testing out an idea you can see yourself succeeding with, even if we're just talking about moderate success. If the idea can create even a little bit of excitement for you, all the better. So go ahead, do your market research, and don't get lost in the research. There is a happy medium in there. You're not going to find all the answers in the research. The research is to get you started in the right direction. Someone may ask, well, should I create another business plan to go alongside of what I'm already doing? Well, there's nothing wrong with a business plan. But again, that's something that people get stuck and lost in, like research or like coming up with the perfect logo before they're going to launch their business or their website. I suggest this. Go ahead and create a simple one-page business plan, which is more or less a one-page summary to outline your concept, your audience, your revenue model or how you're going to make money, and your marketing system. In other words, don't start creating content until you have these things in place. Let me say them one more time. Number one, your concept what it is that you're going to do, why you're going to do it, your audience that fits into the concept, the revenue model, what is it that you're going to sell? And maybe you don't have something exact yet, but if you have a general idea, it's enough to get going. Your marketing strategy, of course, because if you don't have an audience to sell anything to, then your revenue model is really irrelevant because you're not going to make any money. And then you can begin creating content. And the difference is, I know if some of you hear about this step-by-step marketing approach or business approach, sometimes people's eyes glaze over, but recognize that if you've done this with a saturated audience, then you've experienced slow or very minimal growth. Another way to look at it would be you're in business to feed the hunger. If people are already full, then you're no longer feeding the hunger. You're trying to sell to a saturated market where the supply has exceeded the demand. But if you apply these exact same strategies to a underserved, hungrier market, then everything is going to work better. And it's amazing how this works. The same principles that flop in niches one through five succeed wildly in niche number six. The reason doesn't have anything to do with the marketing systems themselves, but the audience that they're tailored to. So I hope that makes sense. 
And all of the above is a perfect fit for your personal brand approach. All of your activities are an extension of you and who you are. All right. Finally, I know that many have more excuses than they have fingers on their hands. Excuses like why they can't do whatever or how you don't know how tired I am or how difficult things are. I acknowledge that all of those things can be true. They may be true, but you can't tell me that the right target wouldn't bring some of that old energy back again. In other words, you find something that's worth reaching for. You find something that gets you excited. And you, again, you can't, don't tell me that that deep down inside, that energy wouldn't start coming back again. I think you know it would. And so as we come full circle, all of the other time-tested principles, like I say, they remain. Building your solo brand or your personal brand will continue to be your primary way of connecting with your audience. The one-to-many system will continue to be your timeless approach to scaling whatever it is that you're building in whatever area that you're building it in. And if you find yourself in an unenviable spot at the time of this recording, I hope you realize that you no longer have to be stuck there. There are things that you can do, proactive steps that you can take to get a new vision for what can come next in your life so you can start moving forward again. All right, I think that's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think it will help a friend, please go ahead and share the episode link with them. You can share it on Facebook, Twitter, or X, I guess they're calling it now, or wherever else you may happen to be, or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. Back episodes can be found there as well. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later.